This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of The Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Today's episode examines two separate interactions with Jesus, one involving the religious leaders, and the other involving his disciples, found in Matthew 16, 1-12. Together, we will be discussing our role as the church in recognizing Jesus and helping others to do the same. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. I'm Natasha. I'm Brittany. And I'm Derek. And we are the Living Vertizano podcast back with you again this week. Um, just as a quick reminder, last week uh, when we were working through the, the last part of Matthew 15, um, we addressed uh, the story of the feeding of the 4,000, not to be confused with the feeding of the 5,000, and how uh, Jesus will, will take our desire for him and everything that we have to offer, and he makes it enough, much like he made the bread enough um, that the disciples offered up when he asked for what they had. Um, this week, we're going to continue this, this uh, narrative of Jesus, the story of, of kind of his ministry as we move on into Matthew 16. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 12, uh, and this narrative picks up with Jesus returning back to Jewish territory. So remember the feeding of the 4,000 was in Gentile territory. Um, and so now he's back in Jewish territory um, and kind of is two different discourses. First, it's this interaction with the religious leaders, and then it's this conversation with his disciples about the religious leaders. Uh, and this week, I think we have Brittany reading. So Brittany, would you go ahead and read that passage for us? And then we'll jump in. Sure. Um, Matthew 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Jesus replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today, it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It, must, it is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourself about not having bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basket lo- basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees? Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right, so there is our uh, story or two stories for uh, today. Um, let's dive in. What are you guys seeing? What questions do you have? What observations you got? Well, first off, um, what is the sign of Jonah? So the sign of Jonah, as I understand it correctly, is kind of to recap briefly. Um, so Jonah is a prophet, um, in the Old Testament. He hears God calling him. Um, to go to the Ninevites who were Assyrian. And so again, like very, very vicious, scary warrior type people. 
And he goes, you have to go and tell them this bad news that I'm going to destroy them if they don't repent. And Jonah's like, no, I'm out. Um, and so he runs the other direction and jumps in a boat. Um, and then God sends a storm. The storm's rocking the boat. And um, everybody on the boat is praying to their gods and saying, hey, get us out of here. Get us out of here. And Jonah goes, guys, stop. Stop. It's not your gods. Like, it's not that. It's me. It's me. You got to get me out of here. My God, the one true God, is causing this because I've been disobedient to him. And so he says, throw me overboard. And they're like, no, 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 we wouldn't do that to you. But he insists. And so they throw him overboard. Um, and then as he's sinking to the bottom of the ocean, I'm sure thinking, like, I've, I've done it. I've disobeyed God. I'm sorry. Like, this is my end. Um, God sends a, a large fish to swallow him up. And Jonah spends three days in the belly of this fish in the presence of God in communication with God. Um, and then he, three days later, he emerges from this fish. Um, and then at, at the end of this, he's resolved, okay, I'm going to go to the Ninevites and I'm going to go and tell them and proclaim this message. Um, but in that there's this, this analogy of this three days he spends in the belly of the fish and that is, as we've talked about before, Jesus is beginning to talk about who he is. He's beginning to teach the cross and he's beginning um, to kind of reveal what the Messiah is actually going to do, which is very different from the perception that was held that, you know, he's going to be this conquering savior. Um, and so this three days in the fish is kind of paralleling this idea that Jesus is about to go and spend three days in the grave. And then he will emerge and then there will be life and there will be good news proclaimed from it, news of salvation. Um, and so that parallel is the parallel, as I understand it, of the sign of Jonah. Thank you. I uh, see as you sit there and you, you talk all about that, like I think about Jonah and his unwillingness to want to go because he didn't see the Ninevites as people who deserved to get what he was supposed to go and give. And I know we talk about Jesus being the new Adam, but it's almost like in this instance, like Jesus is the new Jonah. Like he doesn't, he doesn't see anybody as unworthy. And so he's coming to do what Jonah wasn't willing to do. So I know that's like, has nothing really to do with our passage, but as you were talking that just, it's kind of ironic um, more than just a sign of like the symbol, the symbolism of, of what happened to him, but the symbolism of how Jesus lives differently than as we're talking about being like, you know, our hearts being different and Jesus, this whole posture through Matthew of, of our heart, of a heart being changed. Like Jesus brings that to the forefront of what Jonah wasn't willing to do or what Adam didn't do is being done now. So, and <clears throat> for me, when I think about this idea of um, signs, so I mean that's that's ultimately where this sign sign of Jonah conversation comes in is Jesus's response to them is you will get nothing but this sign of Jonah, um, and that response is elicited because they've requested for a sign, a sign to prove that he is the Messiah. the The Pharisees and the Sadducees are well. They're two different camps of religious leaders uh, that are united in their hatred for Jesus. And they essentially, long story short, 
don't believe that he is the Messiah, don't believe that he is the one to come. And so in this moment, they're coming to him and saying, give us a sign so you can prove to us that you are who, you know, we hear you are, the, what the murmurs are saying. As if all the miracles and everything <clears throat> that he's been enough. performing are not, not sufficient. Well, and so that's, that's kind of what I want to hit on is... And, and this is the second time, right? Like this is the second time they've come to him in Matthew that this is recorded to demand a sign. Sure, um, yeah. The sign of Jonah. And it's, it's also the following the second time where signs are actually discussed. And, and so by that, if we were to go back, I'm pretty sure it's Matthew 11, when John the Baptist sends his uh, disciples to Jesus and says, are you the one that we were waiting for, or is there another to come? And Jesus's response isn't, yes, I am that guy. It's a response of, well, go back and tell John what you see. And he starts listing these signs, the the sick made well, the blind can see, the lame can walk, the deaf can hear. And that is a, a mirror or a uh, reference back to an Isaiah passage that it says that essentially these are signs that the kingdom of heaven is breaking in, is being ushered in by the Messiah. And so Jesus answers it in the presence of the Jewish people in that way. Like he points to signs already, Matthew 11. Now, Matthew 15, he's in Gentile territory, and yes, he feeds 4,000 people, but before he feeds 4,000 people, the people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. The Gentiles now have been exposed to these very signs that indicate the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven as a result of the coming of the Messiah. And so it's not that when when these Pharisees and Sadducees are saying, we demand a sign, Jesus is saying, you get no signs. It's that y'all have already burnt up your signs. Like I have, if you would just be watching, there has been a lifetime of signs that have just unfolded in front of you in, in, in these moments and you are refusing to see those for what they are. And, and that's why he brings up this whole, like, you can interpret the signs of the, the sky just fine, and yet you can't see the things that have happened and recognize that it is, in fact, an affirmation, a confirmation that I am the Messiah. And so because you're not buying what I'm doing, it really wouldn't matter if I did anything else for you right now. And so for you wicked and adulterous generation who refuse to recognize me for who I am, the only sign that that's left to give is the sign of Jonah. You know, as you're talking about this, this idea of rejection and rejecting of the sign scene, it makes me wonder kind of a little bit more into this sign of Jonah. And I think about, so the continuation of the story, which Derek alluded to. Um, so after he tells the Ninevites, they actually repent, which shocks you know, shocks everyone, um, though not God, I'm guessing. And, uh, um, he, so Jonah gets angry about this. Right. Like yeah. how could, like, how could a God who is supposed to be the God of Israel, how could he bless our enemies by granting them this grace of forgiveness? And so then Jonah sits on the outside of this, this repentant city 
and instead of rejoicing and celebrating, sits in bitterness and watches salvation get extended to the world all around them. And I can't help but think of the parallel between what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are about to experience and see. Um, They're going to sit on the outside, just like Jonah, angry and bitter and resentful, and watch salvation be brought to the whole world through this person whom they've rejected. They're so locked into their legalism that it becomes too hard to see the potential for what God can do beyond, you know, if it doesn't fit into this specific box. Like, you can't be the Messiah because you don't fit into our box for what we think you're supposed to be. And sitting at our table, um, someone pointed out that, it, much like you said, it wouldn't have mattered what sign um, Jesus performed because their heart, their, their decision was already made. Much like we talked about uh, a few weeks ago about Jesus being able to read the disciples and what they were saying and his response with the the Canaanite woman, like based on their thinking, uh, I think for me that's kind of what's going on here. Like he's he already knows the room, he already knows the hearts. It's it's the heart issue again, and so because they've they've backed the Messiah into this box and it has to fit just like this or it can't be, it can't be any different. And, and we've seen that before, like in Matthew, and we'll continue to see that. Like it's this whole Jesus is, is calling them to something new, to something different and, and doing something different is not easy. And, and that's essentially what Jesus is trying to do. He's, he's turning it on its head. And it's hard for people who don't want to accept that, that things can be different. The thing also that I think about with this is like the Pharisees and Sadducees, these are, well, I said it earlier, they're religious leaders. And these are guys that like should, should know, right? They should be able to see the signs and recognize what that actually means and they have a lot of head knowledge about stuff. But like you said a moment ago, Derek, it's like this heart conversation. They're missing the heart knowledge, the heart understanding of, of who Jesus is, of who the Messiah is, and how the Messiah is, in fact, standing in front of them in the form of Jesus. A quote that I read, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that uh, related to this, uh, I thought was like just huge um, and really convicting actually was um, it says no matter the knowledge one acquires in the realm of the knowledge of God it is still possible to exist in darkness and so like this is it was a quote specifically tailored towards the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and how they they are extremely knowledgeable. Uh, uh, They know everything there is to know about God and about everything that we humanly have ever documented. And yet they're standing face to face with God and they can't even see it. So I'm going to take this um, into our current time period. Um, and and, And I don't mean to bash the church at all, but I feel like the modern church in America 
is experiencing this very thing Mm. that they, that a lot of times, and I, I'm going to include myself because I've been in this, I've been in this before that we get so struck on, this is the way that things are. This is the way that you're supposed to look. This is the way that you're supposed to be. And we can't see because Jesus is in all of us. We can't see the Jesus that's in front of us. All we see is how they're different and how they're not like me and how they're not the perfect box that I've decided that that is what they're supposed to be. Um, I, I think, I don't know if it was here or if it was on Thursday night where we talked about the Jesus filter. I think that was on Thursday, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, we're, we're not looking through a Jesus filter. All we're seeing is this is what I've decided in my mind because this is what I've been taught or this is what, what I've, that, you know, this is just what I've determined. This is what it's supposed to look like. And we're not seeing the people because the people are made in the image of God mm. and we're not, we're not seeing them. What we're seeing is the things that we, that are wrong, the things that are not perfect. Mm. And I think a lot of times we miss, we miss it. I shared a few weeks ago about, <clears throat> about this um, turn toward grace. And I feel like kind of like what you were alluding to, we can, we can put chains on people and, good, bad, or indifferent, like Jonah did it, the Pharisees would do it. And Jesus was so good about calling out those chains that they had placed on people. They were putting things on them that, that nobody could, no one can measure up to mm-hmm. other than themselves by keeping a certain set of rituals, laws, customs. And, you know, I just... uh I think that as we move on, like into the next part of this passage that we talk about, like that's why it's so important that everything that we do, that we say, that we think be weighted against, like, is this what Jesus would say? Because it just takes a little bit of yeast to infiltrate and grow and create what what Christ wasn't in, wasn't intending. And so it's so important, like that that filter or mirror or whatever term you need to use to to reason it in your mind. That take it before Jesus. Like, is this what you would say? Um, because I, I mean, I find myself more often than not say, saying or thinking the things that aren't who Jesus is. And so it's it's so important that we we do that because. It only takes a little bit of like stinking thinking to to infiltrate, and then everybody's thoughts stink, everybody's words stink, our actions stink. And I think we can look around us and see what happens when we have like hearts that aren't focused on seeing people for them being created in the image of God. Yeah, Brittany, I th- I think this idea of so we've talked a lot, like Derek, you were just saying about holding our thoughts captive and, and would Jesus, do I look like Jesus when I say this? But I don't know that I've spent a lot of time reflecting at least recently on, do I see the Jesus Mm -hmm. in them when I'm speaking to them? Um, because that would slow me down. I think, uh, one more thing that I would like to add to, this conversation in current times, like allowing it to come forward is I also think 
that in the church today, we, and I'm, I'll say we, um, we have done a very good job at helping people or we've done our best job at helping people know a lot about things, specifically Jesus. Like that's, that's the intention. We've done a very, uh, our best job at letting, helping people know about Jesus. And when I read this passage, that's not enough. The Pharisees and the Sadducees knew a whole lot about God and about what the Messiah was supposed to be. And yet when they were standing face to face with him, they could not recognize him. And so when I think about this story and I bring it forward into this idea that we've done a good job or we've done our best at helping people know about Jesus, it terrifies me because it makes me wonder how often have I been staring Jesus in the face and I didn't even realize it because I knew a whole lot about him, but I didn't know him. As you're talking about this idea of us teaching people to know Jesus, like head know Jesus, but not necessarily to heart know Jesus. Um, It brings to my mind this idea of what uh, we've been talking about in in Bible club and in our, in our morning readings, um, out of first Samuel, where we're, we're, we're looking at this, this story where, where Samuel is young. He's just been taken, uh, to Shiloh to serve under the priest Eli. And, um, Eli, you know, Eli has taught him all the things, you know, he's, he's watching, uh, Samuel is watching Eli every day. He sees all the temple duties. He knows how to carry those out. Um, And then, you know, Samuel goes to sleep one night and then God begins to call him. He calls him multiple times. And each time Samuel gets up and he runs into Eli, he says, what you need? What do you need? And Eli's like, go back to bed. It wasn't me. And so Samuel goes back to bed and this happens over and over. And, and finally Eli realizes, oh my goodness, God is speaking. The word of the Lord has been rare and God is speaking. So he, he instructs Samuel on what to do, and it, the text there, it mentions that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. So here's a young man who he knows all the things. He's mm. been in serving in the temple. He's been as close to the holy as you can be, and he does not know the Lord. And so I, when I look at my own life and I think about the place we're at, I just, I can't help but feel like a lot of my life has been wasted trying to know, head know Jesus. But very little of my efforts have been put into heart knowing Jesus. So when you talk about that, it reminds me, um, when we started talking about um, planning the church here, um, and we started discussing kind of what we would do and um, the way that we do things here is very different um, than we've ever, any of us have ever experienced in a church. And um, we talked about how awkward it was going to be at first and um, to actually experience it. I remember 
the first um, time that we met, and so for those of you who don't know, we, we, we talked to Jesus. We talked to Jesus out loud in front of everyone. Um, and, you know, it, but it, it's in a way that's, I guess you could say it's praying, but it's not really. It's talking. We're just talking to him. And when it, when I first, I remember first doing it and first being involved with hearing people talk to Jesus that way, it felt very strange. And it was, it, it kind of like took me back. Like, why, why does this feel weird to me? Like I've been a Christian for, you know, since I was a little girl, like, why does this feel weird? And I think it's because I never really spoke to Jesus like that. Like I spoke to Jesus in a prayer, structured prayer that I like, this is how I thought you spoke to Jesus. You said all these things, um, make sure you get those special words in there. You're, you're addressing him a lot, saying his name a lot. Um, but never like, like I would talk to my husband or what I would talk to my friend. Like I never had talked to him that way. And, and especially not in public. Like I, I rem, you know, there's been times when I've, um, cried out to him and, and just talked to him like that, but not in public. And it's, it's odd that we, I would have that feeling, but as we have continued to do it and continued, um, to, I mean, we've been doing this for over a year now, um, as we've continued to do it, it's, it's just second nature now. Like that, that's just what we do. We just, I have no problem just telling Jesus and speaking to him like I would anybody else. Um, and I think that comes back to, I was taught a certain way and I was, this is the way that everybody else did it. And this is the way that the church, this is the church. This is how you talk. This is how you speak. This is how you pray. But I didn't really talk to Jesus. I was praying sometimes at him. Not mm. to him, but more at him. And to talk to him and then to listen to him, I mean, that is huge. Like to to speak to Jesus and wait for him to talk to you. Mm-hmm. And there's so much peace and there's so much joy because it's really awesome when Jesus speaks because he can speak to you personally or he can speak to somebody around you and that, that's some of my f- most favorite parts about our, us getting together is when, when Jesus talks back to me, when he, when he either personally or through someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of relationship that I, I, I want. I want to continue and I want my, my children and I want, I want, I want everybody. I want everybody who knows him to know him like this mm-hmm. because it is, it is, it is amazing. Brittany, as you were sharing, I was thinking too about the new believers in Christ that we have among us. And for those people, it's not weird. And it's amazing to watch a relationship with Jesus unfold naturally because for them, they don't know any different. Right. And so there isn't this tension that that you're describing that I felt. Um, I think probably most of us sitting around this table have have felt that tension of, but am I supposed to talk to Jesus like this? I don't know. I, just right now, just here. Um, but they they don't have that. And even even the most reserved among them don't experience that because as we talked about before, there's no shame in coming to God. And all their identity, everything they are is so wrapped up in who he is 
when you come face to face with him in conversation that it really doesn't matter what anybody else around you thinks. It just grows dim. As as you were saying that, I was kind of thinking back to the soil, the different types of soil where the seed falls. And I wonder if sometimes the seed the, the seed responds in the way that it does. Because when somebody comes to Jesus, we don't help them to hear. If we don't help them to hear, like, what's going to happen? Like, it's easy to get choked out when you don't help somebody hear. It's easy for somebody to wither when you don't help them to hear. Hmm. Like, if we don't, if we're helping someone to grow in a relationship, because really that's what it's about. It's, it's not about the list of do's or don'ts. You know what? God's pretty good at working all that stuff out on his own. He doesn't need me to sit here and tell you what's right and wrong for you. He can handle that. He's a big God. But I do think what he wants is for us to do a better job of helping the seed grow. And how do you do it if you've dumbed it down to a list of do's and don'ts? Instead, like, hearing is really important. It was important for, for Samuel. Mm-hmm. And because of other things going on, Eli was even missing what, what God was trying to do. And I wonder how many people we affect like Samuel negatively because we're like Eli. Because as we like we go on down, we, we talk about the yeast. And I don't know. I mean, that's just what came to my heart, what came to my mind. So, Jesus, I want to help people here because I want them to know you, not to know what I think is right or wrong. Um, not to, to know what I think is, is good and right for them. They don't need me for that. They need me to help them grow. When I think about what, what you guys have been talking about and bring, kind of moving, move forward into the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples about the yeast of uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, I think about how big of a responsibility that we have as the church because what you just drew out Natasha about how you know saying that you know the new believers among us they don't think it's weird like they they didn't have in our communication with them they didn't seem to have the same reservations and timidity that we had when we first began this journey a little over a year ago and I mean, maybe there's other things at play, but the conclusion I come to is we had that timidity because of what we grew up in, right? What we experienced, what we are kind of trained into. And so, not again, not making any statement on like the goodness or it being bad, but just the reality of the, the yeast. Like, that, that was essentially, as Jesus kind of draws on here, how yeast is the teachings of the Pharisees. Like, we were timid because of the yeast that we had experienced growing up. Right? Right or wrong, whatever it is, we were timid because of that. So when I think about it in that context, as the church, 
what kind of yeast are we? That's the question I keep coming back to. I mean, yeast, we've, we've already talked about this a lot, right? <laughs> we can even ask Brittany, why don't you? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Brittany can go through a whole breakdown again, or you can just go back to episode. I forgot which episode it is. But yeast, uh, it, it, uh, it, it changes things. It influences its environment. It um, grows. It causes to grow. And with with that with that ability to influence like that, I guess my question it it it, it just it kind of turns it. I, I want to turn it back on me, back on us. And, and hopefully those of you listening will turn it back on yourself as well. What are we causing to grow? What are we causing to expand? How are we impacting and influencing those around us? Are we, are we teaching them things? Or are we helping people draw closer to the God of creation? Are we talking about or are we speaking with? Are we trying to guide people into living a certain way or are we helping them direct their gaze at the real standard, who is Jesus? What kind of yeast are we? When I think about different places in my life, because I'm whether I like it or not, I'm different at work. I'm different at work because I have a different role at work. I'm a leader. I'm you know I have I have different responsibilities at work. At home, I have a different I have different responsibilities. I'm in the church. I feel like I have different responsibilities, so I, I, I'm different in. I feel like sometimes my yeast can be, it can change. It can, you know, when I think like today, I had a, a cruddy attitude today and it, I could feel that it made people around me have a cruddy attitude. And, and I didn't even think about the yeast. What I was thinking about is, you know, just my cruddy attitude kind of filtering through the department. Jesus, I'm going to need more reminding, I think, um, at work to be the positive yeast as opposed to the negative yeast. Because whatever I'm, whatever kind of yeast I am, but because of my position of influence, it's mm. going to be a chain reaction. So help me to be the positive yeast that you've called me to be in the workplace. Because I believe he's called you there to be an Eli, but not an Eli who misses everything that God's trying to say, but to be an Eli who can help the Samuels hear God. Because it would be easy to like sit back and say, well, I can't figure out why I'm still, still here. But the reality is, is that you've been placed there to, be a, to help somebody else recognize that voice. And I know that's like a big responsibility, but we've all been called to help somebody else recognize that voice, uh, which I think really speaks to what you were, you were 
Yeah, I think it says, I think it says it better. I think I think what you just said as you were saying, I was like, that's what I was trying to say all along. That's so much better. <laughs> like, no, y- yes, Eli messed up a whole lot. Like, there there's a lot that we could complain about with Eli, but we can't just throw everything out because without Eli being able to say, "Hey, that's I think God's talking to you. You need to respond." then we may not have Samuel. And even though he lived a life of missing it a lot, right there he was on. And we that's that's the Eli we need to be. Right. For everybody. And that's where going back to that question or that that conversation we were having about the church and how we've done well to teach people about right? Like we need to be that specific little snippet of Eli. That's what the church is supposed to be. Like not just teaching about, but helping point to and and helping people draw attention to and helping people recognize when God is speaking, helping people recognize what God is doing. Because the truth is God is in fact speaking. God is in fact doing. Like Jesus is alive and active. Last time I checked... According to the pages of scripture, he came out of the grave and he lives. And so because he lives, he works. Because he lives, he speaks. And so our job is to help people recognize that. Right. And to be fair, I think that the intention has always been of us as, I'm going to use us as the Eli's, right? The church as the Eli's. I think our intention has always been to teach people to have relationship with Jesus, to know, like heart know Jesus. I just, somewhere along the way, I feel like the methods we began to use seem to emphasize or must have emphasized, I mean, based on at least us, we've got four cases here. I don't know, maybe maybe there's there's other people that could say, no, not me, I got it. Um, but that must have somehow just become more focused on the stories and, and the learning of the stories. Transmission of information. As opposed to as opposed to actually encountering the living God enough to know that that was the main focus of what we're doing here as the church. Um, and I think this is, is likely this yeast that Jesus is warning against. Mm. And, and so after having this whole conversation about demanding for a sign, he, he turns to the fair or he turns to his disciples in response to what he's just encountered with the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and lets them know, Hey, I'm warning you. There's going to be some stuff out there that people say like, this is the main thing and they're well-intentioned. They're really well-intentioned and they're trying, they're trying to find me, but they don't see me necessarily as they're doing it perfectly. And because they can't see perfectly, What's, what's coming out, the yeast that's coming out, it could, it could, if you're not careful, it could turn into something that I didn't intend. Mm. That's going to have you following laws. That's going to have you following the do's and do nots. 
that's going to have you focused on things that are not me. And when you focus on things that are not me, that's going to lead you out of relationship with me, which that's the whole point. That's the reason I'm here is to be in relationship with you. And so at the end of the day, I feel like Jesus really just wants us as the Eli's, us as the disciples. He wanted the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they're spreading this yeast to make sure that they were showing people God and allowing them to experience and encounter God for themselves firsthand, relationally, because that's the thing that will keep us. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.